This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello, my love tribe. Welcome back to Heartland Podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Larry Indiviglia, who shares a beautiful story about love, about selflessness, and about true compassion. I hope that you enjoy this conversation because I truly enjoyed it myself. Thank you for listening. Hello, I am here with Larry Indiviglia, and he is here to share with us a fantastic and amazing journey in love, and I'm super anxious to hear about it. So welcome, Larry. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. It is a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to our connection today. Awesome. And I know you have your book, uh, 126 Days, 11 Minutes, correct? That is correct. Yeah, it was launched October 6th and um, in honor of National Breast Cancer Awareness Month and uh, as, as we have it. But yeah, yeah, it's a recent uh, addition to the Amazon.com rules. Yes. Fantastic. And do you mind giving us a little brief summary of your book? Uh, I would love I would love to do that, Lindsay. 126 days, 11 minutes, our love story. Um, is a true story, number one, of two actively aging seniors in their 60s, yes, in their 60s, who, um, who met online, <laughs> who met online and fell um, uh, madly in love with each, uh, with each other, really against all odds, because one of them, in this case, Gail, um, who I met online, was battling stage four uh, breast cancer. And wow. have been for four years. Oh and um, in, in the process, um, we we learned and made the decision to live in the now and the today, to embrace life in the today, to embrace love for today. We didn't worry about what was behind us or certainly maybe what was ahead of us or mm-hmm. the tomorrows. And, um, and we experienced joy, fun, adventure, human. We had compassion, respect, admiration for each other. It was a great relationship. Um, we had fun. We we enjoyed each other's company and discovered each other. Ultimately, what we learned, though, through the process um, and what was to, to come about, which was inevitable, was that it is possible, Lindsay, and worthwhile, possible and worthwhile, to love with loss, rather than never to have loved at all. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like the, the baseline story of the book. And it is a true story. It's uh, nothing was made up. It's not a fictional novel. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. And I think we need more of that. You know, we hear all of the worst stories, but that sounds absolutely beautiful. I, um, I found, um, Lindsay, that society sometimes tells us what, to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, somebody's struggling, um, somebody's sick, 
you know, somebody's in a different quote place than the norm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whatever the norm is these days, um, kind of, there's nothing in it for you. Um, you will not learn anything about that. There will be too many limits on that relationship. You will not be able to receive anything back in that relationship. You'll always have to give. Uh, however, when you follow your heart, when you really feel something in your heart, as I did with Gail, mm -hmm. it is really beneficial to trust that and to pursue that because you will discover and experience something you've never had before. And you will receive and learn many lessons as much as you've given out. Mm -hmm. And you'll learn about, you know, you hear the term unconditional love. What is that? You'll learn about what that is. And I, and, uh, I will say in a giving way, and you will also receive it back because when you give love unconditionally, that will be reflected back to you by your partner, your significant other, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever it happens to be. It did for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's fantastic. What really motivated you to write the book, 126 Days, 11 Minutes? Lindsay, thanks for asking. It was really three factors. It was kind of a perfect storm of three factors. Number mm -hmm. one, I was grieving. And because I was grieving, I sought out writing as a form of catharsis to get through the grief. I lost a very significant person in my life, Gail, mm -hmm. my girlfriend, Gail. And even mm -hmm. though I only knew her four months, I was grieving for her. So writing helped. Number two was um, I had emails, voicemails, my daily journals, texts, cards, the, um, the, um, I had the information. I had the reflections. I have everything I could go to. And my recollections were very raw and fresh in my mind. And mm -hmm. I felt a real need. And, and I was inspired to share the lessons I learned from Gail and from our story together to the world. So that was really fact number two. And lastly, ironically, was COVID. COVID provided me the time um, because I couldn't work as much and I couldn't go out as much because of the restrictions on us. And I was able to write three hours, four hours every night, and then six hours each weekend day. And I felt an urgency to get it out. I felt if I didn't do it in the six weeks shortly after Gail died, I would not get this book done as I had to get it done. So I could also move forward with my life later. I can mm -hmm. tell you with honesty, Lindsay, if I were to start that project today here in October, I don't think I would have been able to write this book. Mm -hmm. It was just that right time and it helped you while you're in that moment. So yeah, I could definitely see how, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. I mean, it helped you to heal as well as I'm sure that's going to inspire so many people, whoever reads it. I mean, it's just a fantastic story. Uh, and I'm inspired to hear it and read it. Absolutely. And I know that both you and Gail were in your mid sixties when you met and she was battling that stage four cancer. What made you pursue that relationship? Well, you know, Lindsay, she was a beautiful woman and a beautiful spirit. I was captivated immediately on our first phone call um, with her honesty. She was very transparent from the start. She told me on the phone that she had been battling stage four 
you know, for four plus years. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I really was even more captivated after the phone call and um, I wanted to meet her. And, um, and she had this innate courage. She made a very courageous and powerful choice to embrace life and love to the end. And um, there was something about, um, about her personality, about her energy uh, that really stoked my um, compassion, my curiosity, mm-hmm. my caring, and also my uh, pursuit of, of wanting to love somebody uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually in, in all ways. And I, I really felt that Gail um, came into my life for that reason. And then I really came into her life for, for a specific reason as well. So, um, and, the, and the biggest thing is we both decided to live in the, in the present. And I saw that about her. And she told me, Lindsay, she says, you know, Larry, if I couldn't be a woman, I'm not an invalid. I would not be sitting in front of you. I, I refuse to let this cancer to rule my life. Uh, mm-hmm. I have every, every hope of a miracle to happen and to get cured by it. And I am making the choice to continue to live in love. And that's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would be captivated as well, you know, to have someone with that type of spirit and just motivation for life inspires you, you know? Yeah, we all need that. And I think we inspire. When sometimes you hear it, Lindsay, to be inspired, it's inspired and inspiring. A person Mm -hmm. is inspired and inspiring. And that, that was Gail to me. And you, know, you may go back on your walk, too, and many of your listeners. Think about the people you see or you've come into contact with. And I believe all relationships and connections are for a reason. Some last a long time. Some last a short time, uh, sadly for me and Gail. But are they inspiring and, all, or, and are they inspired? You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a, a couple of very, very important qualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you have people that could have a relationship that's, you know, way longer than what you had, but never experienced that same love that you experienced. Yeah. And, you know, Lindsay, it was, we had a lot of fun. The The book is not about just dying. I, I do want to make sure I, I uh, share this. We had a <laughs> lot of fun for about 10 weeks before her cancer came back. Mm-hmm. And um, it was adventure. We went out dancing. We went to the movies. We went out, you know, to eat. We had full days together. We experienced a lot of stuff. And and in the interest of of living in the now, living in the today. So there was a lot of joy. There was a lot of adventure. There was a lot of fun that um, for both of us. And I I remember just so many good times and and. Able, and I'm able to reflect on those times, even though, you know, ultimate, ultimately there was there was a, a, a turn where the cancer, you know, came back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. But I do want to state that that a lot of the positivity and adventure that can be shared, even though one person is struggling, is in the book and it is very possible and it can be created. 
Oh, yeah. And I love that you mentioned that because I know to other listeners, they may think that maybe you guys were just hanging out in the hospital this whole time. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, so oh, God, good that you out of the book. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, you know. Uh, no, no, no. We, um, we, we did more than that, and it is shared in the book. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. And I know that Gail asked you to promise her that you will love again. So will you, will you be able to get to that point after experiencing so much of that fantastic love and relationship that you had previously with her? Yeah. You know, Lindsay, great point here. Um, You know, Gail was a professional photographer for 33 years and she was mostly Los Angeles based. So she was really good with people and reading people, all types of people. She photographed all types of people. Mm-hmm. So she had, she was good that way. She also was an Argentine tango dancer. Mm. Yeah. The, the actual cover of the book is one of her professional photographs of a tango, what they call Malanga, which is a bunch of couples, um, you know, dancing tango. So she really um, was appreciative of how love needs to be created and continued. She looked at love and life as a dance Mm. and the dance is kind of never ending. Maybe one partner, you may not dance with one partner ever again, but Mm -hmm. dancing continues. And she looked at that. She, she took love the same way. Like Larry, even though I'm not going to be here, you need to continue to keep love alive in your life and in for others. So in that respect, Lindsay, she was a catalyst for me. Mm-hmm. And she actually, I want, she didn't break my heart. She broke my heart open because mm-hmm. after um, a 25 year marriage that ended in divorce, and after a couple of relationships nine years after my divorce, I, I wasn't real sure if I could engage in a joyful, deep, a give and receive relationship, you know, with a woman with unwavering commitment and vulnerability, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of love. She helped me realize that I now can. And in moving mm-hmm. forward, um, I um, actually have met somebody in the process of creating this book. And um, wow. it's certainly early on in the relationship. I do believe Gail opened me up to that possibility and gave me something I didn't have before. So she, she did, she did, um, she did do that for me. And she asked me and said, Hey, Larry, you will love again. Oh, wow. It was like, she was your angel. Really? In a lot of ways, Lindsay, I think maybe we were angels for each other because, you know, you think about giving and receiving, um, Mm -hmm. Some people have said to me, Larry, you gave so much to that relationship. I did, but I received, I believe, so much more from Gail than perhaps Mm -hmm. she ever received from me. Oh, wow. I love that. What benefits will people receive from reading your love story? I mean, I've already gained so much insight within this short amount of time listening to you, but just in general, just feedback you've gotten and and. What benefits do you think people will receive from reading your love story? Mm-hmm. You know, um, number number one, I would say, if you're present and able to give time 
and able to care for a person and able to love a person, it's worthwhile and possible to do that, to be mm-hmm. present, to give of your time, to give of your care and to give your love. These are things that are really important in, in life. And, um, and even though somebody is struggling, they will have fear, they will have pain, but there's also your ability in connecting with them and loving them to help give them hope, to help give them faith, to help build their strength so that ultimately they could find peace. Peace not only in, in the good times together, okay, in finding real love, but maybe towards that end of life, how does one find peace at the end of life? So you will learn from this book that how to be able to connect with a person so they find peace during the good times with with unconditional love and a great loving relationship. And then perhaps at the end, at their last stage when they're dying, ultimately find peace because of your presence with them. Uh, They have Mm -hmm. to find that peace. You can't provide it for them. Also, humor positivity, adventure are keys to embracing life. Even if somebody's mm-hmm. in challenge, it's very possible. Um, love can be achieved at any age. It's never too late. And it doesn't have to end in dying. It doesn't have to wait to your 60s. Hopefully not. It can be, it can be um, realized and at any age, which is, I think, an, an important benefit you'll learn from the book. Um, you know, as far as um, caregiving, after somebody maybe does take a turn for the worse, in this case, Gail did, um, being able to help that person uh, to be their advocate, to ask the right questions, select the right care, uh, um, be able to support them. It's not about your bias, but what they want and their needs. And some of end-of-life considerations I do share in the book. And that you will benefit from some of that information. So always from a view of what I went through, Lindsay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this was this. And, um, and the other thing is um, it'll help give people clues, ways, and approaches to how to bring joy and positivity into a person's life who maybe is struggling, is challenged. And uh, that can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is very powerful uh, to be able to provide that for people. Because like I said, I mean, we love, like you said, and we both said, we live in a society that will tell you to do the complete opposite. <laughs> and yeah. I think that, you know, your story brings so much connection and meaning and purpose to life and love. And I think that's very beautiful. Um. And it's, it, you have to be open to it. You have to be open to yeah. it. You know, I, I always remember this song by um, um, the late Beatle, George Harrison. He had, a, mm-hmm. he had a song, Lindsay, called Love Comes to Everyone. Love mm-hmm. Comes to Everyone. It, but you have to be open to it, right? It, it's, yeah. a, it's a choice. And I remember Gail telling me, life is like a dance. Um, savor every step. And um, sometimes things that are created are by choice or by chance. Sometimes a combination of both. But you do have to choose to be open to love. Mm 
You have to mm-hmm. choose that because if you if you're not open to it, you you may not um, you might not attract a similar energy and somebody who feels the same way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it, nothing can come to you unless you're ready to receive it and you're open to receiving it. I mean, everything we want is there, but if you're not ready to receive it, you can't actually have it. So that's a very good point. Yeah. And Lindsay, I think sometimes we're afraid. There's yep. fear that comes into that. Mm-hmm. You're afraid of losing something. Uh, maybe it's ego in a sense. Uh, maybe, or may, maybe you're afraid that it actually may happen. You know, sometimes you hear, hey, you have to be careful what you wish for, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it happens, you see it in front of you. And sometimes there's a tendency to run away from that out of fear. And at that point, that's the most important time to write, to, to fight that fear and walk through it and say, hey, I am going to be vulnerable. I am going to risk something here because the ultimate benefit will far outweigh of playing it safe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you mentioned how her um, photography was strong and that was basically the cover of the book with the Argentine tango. And you mentioned a little bit about how she felt strongly, how life correlated with dance. But why did you feel that was the most important piece of the book? What made that the theme of the book? Um, you know, there was two sub stories, two things that, um, that I discovered about Gail, uh, early on was Argentine tango. She had been an Argentine tango aficionado. In fact, she had been a dance person for most of her life. She wanted to be a professional dancer. It didn't work out that way, but mm-hmm. she got involved with, um, dance ballet, which also prepared her for Argentine tango. And also she, she learned the tango and I think it was 2008 she passed away in 2020. So 12 full years she did Argentine tango and the Argentine tango is a very, very tight knit community. It's very supportive. It's very joyful. It's very artistic. It uh, provides both man and woman to lead and to follow. Normally in Argentine tango, the male and the man leads mm-hmm. and the woman follows, but she doesn't just follow. She responds. And, mm-hmm. and so there's a, there's a leading in how you respond to the man's lead. Mm-hmm. And I think Gail looked at that, um, how life was and love was, there was a leading and there was responding. And um, she felt that tango, the thing about Argentine tango was the embrace, how everything starts and ends with a very tight embrace. And if that embrace is ever broken, then the dance actually ends. And that's kind of like the sacred space of a woman and a man um, dancing Argentine tango. Mm. Um, She loved movement. And that was the other thing. Tango provided the movements as she sometimes said, from her souls, S-O-L-E-S, to her soul, (laughs) S-U-L. And you know what, Lindsay? Tango kept her alive. When she got diagnosed in 2015, October 6th, actually the book was launched on the anniversary of her five-year diagnosis, um, Tango kept her mentally and physically 
in life. She always had that, and she did her best to keep Tango in her life through the mastectomy, through the chemo, through the surgeries, through the radiation, through the more chemo, through all the alternative treatments, which she also used. She used a lot of holistic methods to boost her immune system. And maybe that's another lesson about the book is Mm -hmm. how to, to use some holistic methods to keep your immune system high. But Tango was instrumental in giving her hope and joy and something positive in her life, even through all her cancer treatment. So, um, There was the connection of tango, the movement of tango, the soulful embrace of tango, how when mastered, it was such a natural and beautiful dance and an artistic outward expression. So that was an extension of her soul and tango provided that. Oh, wow. So that is an absolute crucial point to make this about the books. I totally understand why you chose that. And the the cover too, Lindsay, since you mentioned it, the cover of the book was one of Gail's professional photos. It was a framed fo- photo called Malanga Number no. 1. A Malanga is a tango mm-hmm. gathering, Argentine tango gathering. Anyway, mm-hmm. I brought that into her hospice room and it was right there on the shelf that she could see it every day. So that oh. picture was there every day the 44 days she was in the inpatient hospice here in San Diego. So when I reached out and was looking, what does the cover of this book need to be? Um, mm-hmm. That was the choice that, and I wanted her to be a part of the book, you know, Gail yes. being a photographer, I wanted one of her photos preferably to be a part of the book. And I don't think I could have picked a more, a better one to represent what she was about and what the underlying story was about. Absolutely. Uh, so beautiful. Ah, I love love stories. <laughs> um, so Larry, I know some people might be curious as to why during this chapter of your life, you chose to focus more so on being vulnerable and present and romantic, but did something maybe happen in your past that made you want to be this man that you are now, causing you to feel that, I don't know, maybe you're making up for lost time or anything like that? You know, Lindsay, this is a deep question, um, and the answer is yes. Um, I I feel, um, I do feel that empathy, you know, empathy is a strong word. Um, compassion is another strong word, but empathy is is something you've already been through that's, some, that's very similar, mm-hmm. and then that's when really you could touch another person and really connect with them because maybe you had an experience that was similar or put you in a similar, in a similar uh, place. Mm-hmm. And I certainly, when I met Gail was not thinking about loss, but I had had a, a, a couple in my journey, a couple of instances where my mortality was threatened. Mm-hmm. And I think Gail's mortality was being threatened uh, with stage four cancer diagnosis. You know, what are you kidding me? You know, breast mm-hmm. cancer, four years, the uh, survival rate to five years is 20%. Only mm-hmm. two out of 10 women who are, who are diagnosed with stage four make it to five years. Sadly, Gail wow. was not one of them. She made it to four years, seven months. But in my walk, when I was 21 years old, I was in a horrific car accident. I was the driver of the car. There was no alcohol or drugs or anything involved. 
-hmm. I was in a horrific car accident. My older sister, Barbara, who was 28, I was 21 at the time. And my aunt, my dad's sister, died in the car. <gasps> I, I survived it. I was only 21. Uh, that's a heavy burden to bear for many, mm -hmm. many years. And that loss uh, some 43 years ago uh, gave me an appreciation for life, mm -hmm. for how fragile it is and how quickly it could be taken away. Mm -hmm. I also, 30 years later, when I was 51, I had a very bad accident. It was kind of a freak accident where I broke my neck. Mm -hmm. And again, my, my mortality was being threatened again. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, a near loss, a near loss of my life. Mm -hmm. And then finally, coincidentally, or perhaps not, or ironically, the same month Gail was diagnosed with stage four cancer, mm -hmm. uh, stage four breast cancer in 2015, I was diagnosed with stage one colorectal cancer. Mm. So I knew, Lindsay, how a person, albeit not stage four, feels when they get a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You feel lonely. You feel ticked off. You're, you're in denial. You feel fear. You feel abandonment. You feel unsure. You feel like you're a victim. Why me? Um, and there's a lot of those feelings that I was able to empathize with Gail. I felt mm -hmm. that that was just at least in my being. Mm -hmm. But on more, I think, present or more realistically, I was mature. I was in my 60s. I had had life experience. Okay. I had had empathy because of my life experience. I had compassion. Mm -hmm. I was able to care for a person. Um, and I still had a desire, as I mentioned earlier, Lindsay, to find some real love, to really be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically aligned with a woman that I had not. Uh, fully done before. So I had this hope and this dream of, of finding that. And because of all that, I believe I was um, able to connect with Gail in the way that I was able, able to love her. And I, so what I went through in my life, I don't want to say prepared me for it, but mm -hmm. helped me. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to really recognize how special Gail was and to be able to love her as much as I possibly could. Mm. That's powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that because of course, when others lack understanding, they may just see things on the surface or it's like, Oh, okay. You know, this guy had a great relationship, but when you explain your life and all of the things you've been through and how much richness your life has and the different experiences that you've you know, experience, it gives so much more context and dimension to who you are, which makes it even that much more powerful to pay attention to what matters. It, it, it does make a difference, Lindsay, and thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, truly, we, you know, sometimes you hear the term, um, the, the destination is the journey, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we, in, in our world, there's so many things people want. And a lot of times gratification, people want it now, right? It's mm -hmm. always things you want. And, um, but the process by which we go about creating or discovering that is really the gift, mm -hmm. the, the journey itself. And then during our journey, 
the very thing sometimes we really try so hard to get, it, it becomes a mind game. We become numb. Our feelings become numb and and we could we could be insensitive to it. But I will say this. I do believe substance seeks substance in life. Mm-hmm. Substance seeks substance in life. I had mentioned that in my, my first book, Insights for Life, that I published many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do believe that, Lindsay. I believe substance seeks substance. If somebody is superficial and you're a person of substance, you probably will not relate to that person. Mm-hmm. Right. And if... Um, if, if you're superficial, maybe you're not going to attract or be attracted to somebody who's really deep or substantial, right? Mm-hmm. So I have found that out, that substance seeks substance. And certainly Gail was a really significant and substantial person for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned that because sometimes, you know, I always say that we see life as who we are um, through our own perceptions. So when you mentioned that about that there is that different, um, I guess, level of consciousness when it comes to on a surface level or on a deeper level. And for me, I'm a very deep type of a person. So I always like to go on the deep side of things. (laughs) And not everybody is like that. And I'm like, what's wrong with them? But it's just, it's not necessarily like anything's wrong per se. It's just, you know, that's just how things are. You have, like you mentioned, it's substance meets substance. So thank you for saying that. And, you know, Lindsay, too, you mentioned something really important is in our world now, you know, with social media, social media is great. You know, you can get your messaging out there. Mm-hmm. You know, podcasting is a, is a form of social media in a way, certainly mm-hmm. uh, the new radio, yep. perhaps. But um, there's a lot of and anybody who goes out with a podcast, whatever it is, and anybody who's out on social media, you mm-hmm. know, they're putting themselves out there. There's a tendency, though, to be a lot. There's a lot of noise, right? There yes. could be a lot of noise out there. What are the true signals? That's the stuff that that I, I think we like to find. If you're a deep person, you're a deep yep. person, is what are the real good signals that I want to dial into? Because there's a lot of noise. I'm oh, not yeah. trying to be critical of anybody, but there's a lot of noise out there. So oh, how yeah. do I dial into the real signals? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I go through that all the time. It's, it's why I don't follow too many people. <laughs> you're, you're a, um, you know, sometimes you hear the term Lindsay, you know, Lindsay's a front burner, you know, she's the one, you know, she's the lead car. She's the engine. And, you know, you're setting the tone by which um, others can learn and emulate. And um, it's nothing like uh, driving your own carrot in a sense and saying, hey, you know what? I'm putting myself out there. I'm putting my message out there because I feel it is beneficial and it is educational and there's a lot of value to it and I can help and serve people by doing it. And um, I can't keep, I know some people may not agree with me. That's okay. But I know Mm -hmm. if I believe something with passion and with conviction, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with it and I'll put it out there. Yep. Absolutely. Oh boy. Yep. I needed that today. Thank you. <laughs> um, so in addition to your love story, you were essentially an advocate for Gail's medical care. What practical advice do you have for others who find themselves in a similar position or role? 
Yeah, um, Lindsay, that is something that um, during during the time that Gail was relatively healthy, and I always saw the best side of Gail. Um, I rarely saw her down or hurting or or lack of energy. She, when I went out with her and the time I spent with her, um, I, I think she did protect her energy. I always mm-hmm. saw a very energetic and very positive and loving and fun side of Gail. Now mm-hmm. that said, I know during her healthy time, the 10 weeks of my relationship with her, there were demands, you know, she was had to do things at home. I know mm-hmm. there were some struggles. She was doing a lot of holistic methods and cares, a strict nu- nutrition program, a lot of sleep, etc. cetera. Um, but as her condition worsened and the cancer came back, there are physical and emotional considerations that a person's going to go through. And you need to listen to your loved one, one's needs, or in this case, quote the patient, you know, if it's in a traditional care setting, you need to listen to their needs and desires. And you have to put your biases aside. They may decide to do a combination of holistic healing, alternative methods, and traditional. They may just want to do all holistic and no traditional. They Mm -hmm. may want to do neither. Okay. So I do think that listening to them, what is important to them, their needs, their feelings, being patient and supportive of the choices they make, because it's not going to happen overnight. They may try an alternative healing method. Uh, Let's say it's CBD oil. Is it going to work immediately? For some people, maybe it does. For others, it may take some time. So you have to be patient with that and work alongside with them. Um, The other thing that's important, especially when you're making decisions about hospice care, uh, Gail was in a traditional hospice for about, or hospital for six or seven days, and we had to make a decision on her hospice care. Mm. Um, Ask the right questions. You have to be your own advocate because people in uh, traditional hospital environments, they're used to getting people through the door after there's not going to be any more traditional treatment anymore, they need to move them on. Okay, move them along. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it, it's very important to ask the right questions. And if you don't get the right answers, you need to persist. It does take time. It does take energy. And in some cases, it may take a little bit of money, but it's mm-hmm. worth it to do that. Absolutely. Um, something else about being a caregiver Seek out people who have traveled a similar walk. Gail had stage four cancer. When it came back, we knew it was, it had moved to her brain. So who had brain brain cancer before? Who was a caregiver for a brain cancer patient or loved one? Mm -hmm. You can reach out and, and um, and get a glimpse of maybe the considerations and what's important. Now, every case is different. Okay, just because Mary Smith experienced something one way, it doesn't mean Gail will, but it's good to get that information. And then um, I think the most important one, help your loved one to embrace life until the end. Mm. Look for opportunities. Look for activities to bring joy into their life so that ultimately they could find their own peace before transitioning. In the book, I shared what I did for Gail. It could be reading poems. It could be giving a massage. 
It could be using music. It could be having a teddy bear in the room. There's things that you can do. And with COVID, it was a challenge for mm-hmm. her to see all her friends. It was not possible. But it is possible to do things to help that person transition, especially if it's a um, end-of-life dying situation. That sadly it was for Gail. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that with the whole COVID situation, if that made any kind of impact with her care at all. It, You know what? It, it helped me. Lindsay, it's interesting you bring this up. Um, Gail died in the Parkview Sharp Hospital hospice home. It only had four beds. Mm. Um, 24, it had uh, 24-7 nursing care, a night shift, a day, day shift. So the pain relief was very, very compassionate and consistent. Mm-hmm. And um, however... Only one person at the maximum two was permitted in her room at any one time. And because of COVID, there was not unlimited visitors. You could only see two people a day. So when I entered the hospice home, I had to stay in the room. They used to have a common area, a living room. You know, you can go out, get coffee, talk Mm -hmm. with other family members, whatever. There was none of that. Mm. So because of COVID, I had to be present for Gail in that room. Not that I was not going to be, but I was there the entire time. If you, if you see what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. I had to be in the room and I couldn't go anywhere else. So, um, so that really encouraged me to focus as to what I was going to bring into the room to help her embrace life what was left of it and to provide joy for her Mm -hmm. and um and i do share that in the book awesome and as a patient advocate where do you think the medical community shined or maybe even failed if that was a case how do you think they could improve their experience well you know um when we when we took gail to the emergency room when she was very sick um we, we knew the cancer had returned and I know she knew she, I don't know if she finally did acknowledge it. It took, it took about seven, eight, nine days, but mm. you know, we had to go back in. They were extremely effective in immediate diagnosis, pain relief. Um, the community, the communication of the results of all the tests they did, mm-hmm. what the findings were, what the honest and realistic prognosis was. Okay, what the options were in moving forward, if any. Mm-hmm. Okay, Gail did not have uh, any options left based on the type of brain cancer she had. Okay, mm-hmm. so she didn't have any options, but they were very good in that process of diagnosis, pain relief, testing, communication of those results, prognosis, and options moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps where they weren't. Um, as effective in a sense. Gail had a a differing, uh, every case is different. And sometimes after traditional care, there's no more options, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, time to move on. Okay. You can't stay in the hospital. What's your decision? Are you going to go home to go to hospice? Well, 
Gail, because of some of the dynamics of how she was living, mm-hmm. didn't have her own home to go to. Mm-hmm. Okay? I explained that in the book. Mm-hmm. So they were making an assumption. Okay, you're just going to go home and, you know, you'll have multiple people able to take care of you. Hospice will, will come to your house. And on top of that, there was COVID situation. Mm-hmm. So a challenging situation anyway, now with COVID, how was COVID impacting in-home hospice care? Okay. So I found that working with the hospital to communicate Gail's unique needs and some of those unique needs, I don't want to say we're going on deaf ears, but they weren't fully embracing or listening to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was a challenge. So you can get caught up in being just another number moving you down the assembly line Mm -hmm. out the door. I know it involves money and insurance companies and all that kind of stuff. You know, you stay in the hospital a day, that's a few thousand dollars and then some, you know? So um, even though she was under Medicare, it's not unlimited. But those were a couple of things, I think, on the traditional medicine front that they did well. And then maybe um, they didn't do so well. And there was there was a gap there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that a lot with hospitals. It's kind of like, I mean, I don't know if there was a time, I'm sure there was, but, you know, with there being so many illnesses and people coming in and out, they kind of just see you as just a body instead of a a human. So I could see that. Yeah. And, um, you know, in that environment, Lindsay, I think the thing is we must be, and I was, always be professional Mm-hmm. Always be personable, always be kind. Don't shoot the messengers because a lot of times, you know, people on the working levels, they're trying to do their job the best they can. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like they, they don't have the ultimate authority. They do have an impact as to where things could go, however, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a tendency sometimes to lash out, you know, and there's periods of frustration. I had some. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't talk about them at length in the book, but I had some that you have to appreciate all all the working levels of the people that you're dealing with. I think that's important. Oh, yeah, definitely. Wow, Larry, you've given so much, so much. <laughs> um, was there anything else that you wanted to share today in regards to your, your story or your message? Yeah, you know, I I do. And um, I I think uh, November is National Hospice Month. Okay. And um, there's not really enough in-home, inpatient hospices in the country. Uh, San Diego only had a few. Uh, Sharp Hospice has three, one with six beds, one with four beds, and another one with four beds. So that's like 14 beds total. That's really not a lot. And mm-hmm. a lot of them are operating um, based on contributions mm-hmm. um, to foundations. I will say without any hesitation, I can't put in the words, the people that the these angels do every day, mm-hmm. Lindsay, that work in these inpatient hospice homes. Everyone I came in contact with, from the homemakers to the assistant nurses to the nurses, to the doctor who would check in on the on the care and the pain protocols, to the social worker, to the spiritual counselors, to the music therapist. 
They were all outstanding. Compassionate, exceptional care was given. And um, uh, every minute I was in that place, it was uh, truly um, just a wonderful, awe-inspiring and um, humbling experience how these people um, really care for the sick and dying. When Gail was there 44 days, there was three other adjacent rooms, Lindsay, and I think there was probably at least 20 people that had passed on, you know, Mm -hmm. like before Gail passed. Mm -hmm. And the hospice staff was always so respectful and and so um, compassionate to everybody, whether they were there for two days, 10 days, two weeks. Gail was there a little bit longer because she was one of the younger patients in there. Um, And it was just something that I hadn't been exposed to before. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that about it. I speak very, very highly of the Parkview Hospice that's run by Sharp Foundation, uh, Sharp Hospice Care. Uh, They were a lifesaver and um, they certainly have my ultimate, ultimate respect and ultimate gratitude. Wow. That's something that a lot of people don't think about, especially when you're younger, uh, that, you know, there's this whole care for death, essentially. And to know that that's there and that there's good people behind it is comforting in a way. Yeah. And as a caregiver, as as a loved one, you could be overwhelmed by yeah. a lot of the demands and a lot of the things that have to be done, you know, for somebody who's, who's dying. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, um, really, it's, it's really beneficial to have some help and to have some people who not only support the patient, but who listen to you. A lot of the nurses and the home care people and the assistants in there listen to me, you know, cause when you have a loved one dying, you know, you're in that space and um, that's your focus, you know, mm-hmm. and um, just angels. And I, I would encourage everybody um, who's listening um, to this beautiful podcast here, Lindsay, um, to think about if you do have people uh, that you know that are dying, that inpatient hospice, um, if it's in your community, to seek them out. And also um, to help them out with a donation because mm-hmm. they do, they just do really, really important work. You know, finally, one other thing, Lindsay, I think the importance of faith um, was very helpful to me. Mm-hmm. I did share that in the book, not only what I, what I described, what Gail was feeling based on my view. I, you know, I wasn't Gail. I, I, I translated much of what she told me and what she was feeling until she couldn't talk or see anymore. But mm-hmm. I do share, and I was vulnerable, what I was feeling. And, and my faith, you know, I do a devotional every morning. I meditate in the morning. I have prayer time. That was very, very important to give me a sense of strength and to find some peace through the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that it's timeless. Faith never goes out of style. <laughs> it's something that we we must no. have at all times, no matter what we're facing. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Oh, Larry, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know people are going to want to 
reach out to you, share their experiences or, you know, get a hold of your book? How can anybody get in touch with you or even just buy the book or? Sure. And thanks for thanks for asking, um, Lindsay. 126 Days, 11 Minutes, Our Love Story by Larry Indiviglia. That is a mouthful. Um, is on Amazon in kin- in a Kindle and in paperback version. Okay, Perfect. so you can that's that's the way to get it right now. The audio version will be out hopefully in December at the latest January. We hope to get it out in December. It's all been recorded. That would be on the Audible Amazon's Audible audiobook portal. Okay, but that that will come towards the end of the year. But right now, Amazon.com, 126 Days, 11 Minutes, Our Love Story by Larry Indiviglia. You could also uh, reach me if you want to email me directly. And it'll be lindiviglia at gmail.com. lindiviglia at gmail.com. And I'm also on Facebook at Lawrence, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E, Indiviglia, one word, at Lawrence Indiviglia. And um, I'm also um, on Instagram, Indiviglia Larry, which is an interesting (laughs) interesting address. But not to mix everybody up, I know I just did. Lindiviglia at gmail.com, Facebook, at Lawrence Indiviglia and at Instagram Indiviglia Larry. Got so it. <laughs> there are the three, and uh, that's the best way to do it. If you email me, I will definitely reach out to you and answer any question you may have. Um, we are very excited about the book. We've gotten some great reviews um, on Amazon. Everybody says it's a fast read, they can't put it down at 349 pages. It is a fast read, but it is done by day, day number one through day number 126. I will leave the 11 minutes um, as some intrigue. So I'll leave it there. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing yourself today. And I look forward to seeing where you'll go with this. Lindsay, thank you so much. Uh, I am humbled and uh, honored to have been on your program. And any way I can help you... Uh, I would love to do that. So thank you so much for the opportunity. I've enjoyed this immensely. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care.